We're talking about uh, the, the title. Is the title up there? Did you want to put that up there? I know it's really, it's a hard, it's a hard title. I mean, you know, believe what it is. Uh, the, uh, Jesus is preaching this, folks. I, I mean, I'm just taking what he gave me, you know, and I'm not complaining. I want you to know that. Uh, but, but that's what it is. And, and frankly, we're only going to look at the one verse because I think this one verse has enough there for us even to discuss at the end. And that's what I'd like to do, hopefully, at the end. There's no better time right now than to sort of catch up. You know, it's been three weeks since I've been here and, and been able to preach. And so we want to look at the Sermon on the Mount just as an uh, oversight of it. You know, maybe the 30,000-foot level of looking at it. I, Jesus wanted to speak to his people. Jesus wanted to, uh, to speak into their heart, not, not just their minds, but into the mind and the heart. He's trying to reach them with some extremely, extremely important things. On that mountain, uh, he's speaking to his followers mostly, his disciples, but I think at the same time, as in any church, as in any uh, organization that would call itself Christian, there are going to be unbelievers there. As a matter of fact, I could freely say that last week when I was teaching and preaching. I said, I don't know you. So I could, I could assume that maybe there are some here that aren't believers and, and was able to give them the gospel. Yesterday, I had the distinct privilege of teaching in the premarital class. After it's over, I had these two people come up and they said, I hope you're not angry with us. I said, why would I be angry with you? They said, we're Roman Catholics and we came here to get instruction on marriage. I said, oh, this is wonderful. I'm glad you're here. And, and able to speak to them about the things of God. That's what happens in the premarital class. I've had that happen more than once now. That there'll be somebody there that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And I few times yesterday morning and Friday night. But folks, that's what it's about. That's what we're here for. And that's what Jesus is here for, is to reach into your heart and to speak the things of God so that you live the things of God. That's what it's about. And, and Jesus, when he gets to that mountain, has a very specific spiritual purpose in mind. Jesus wanted to point out that, uh, are they really believers? Are they really followers? You see what happens at the end of John 6. And he says, uh, are you too going to leave me? He says that. Is there some place that maybe you want to wander away and you want to take a, uh, an exit. I've had some people that I know take the exit. Some of them will come back, which is wonderful, but some of them are still in the exit. Jesus pointed out areas of sin. He was someone who confronted people with their sin. Today's gospel, or what they say is the gospel, I am appalled at because they don't want to talk about sin. But not only that, they, don't, they say that you're not grace-filled enough. And I go, well, man, you missed the point of what Jesus came here for. He came to save sinners. Came to save sinners, not nice people, but Sinners. Jesus began by causing his listeners to assess their position. Where are you with God? Where are you truly with God? Where are you with the Almighty God? Are you with him or are you just a, as I say, a club member? Where you have your membership and you show up when membership time is. And, or are you really his? 
assessing here. You say you know Yahweh. Do you really know Yahweh? He was challenging them, and I, I believe, folks, he does us as well. If we're going to read this sermon the way he preached it, it, it should be an assessment of our walk with him. Is it a worthy walk? I saw Pastor John get into Ephesians chapter one, uh, 4, and it says, you have to walk a worthy walk, and then he goes through all of these things. And, and, and folks, that's what Jesus is doing. You go back to chapter 5, verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is that poor in spirit? It doesn't mean you feel sorry about yourself. It doesn't mean that you feel poorly about yourself. It means that you recognize your sin. You recognize your spiritual bankruptcy. And I was able to give my testimony down there in Florida and say, I knew I was spiritually bankrupt. I heard the gospel. And I wanted not to accept that gospel and actually walked away from it until he confronted me again. You know, the, the, the hound of heaven is not going to let you get away. He's going to keep coming after you. And if you're one of those that's trying to get away, he's coming after you. Don't. Give in, give in, give in to him. Friends, he started with uh, helping them make a personal assessment as to their sinfulness, and we all know that we're sinful. Do you realize that you are a, bankful, uh, a bankrupt sinner and that you need a Savior? You know, when those two folks yesterday were talking to me and I said, here's the difference between the Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism. And I said, by the way, I grew up a Roman Catholic. I went to elementary school, Catholic high school, and Catholic college. So I heard enough of the Catholic I said, this is what they expect. Over here is what Christ expects, that you recognize your bankruptcy, that you are a complete sinner. And the only way to know Jesus Christ, the only way to come to him is to accept that and say, I need you. I need you. That's, that's the difference. And they said, please come back to Grace Church. That's what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to come back to Grace Church. We'll welcome you back here. But we want you to hear the true gospel. Not a gospel that's going to pat you on the head and say, you're, you're a nice person. We want the gospel to be, you're a sinner and you need a savior. True salvation ultimately will bring the sinner to the point of understanding how desperately wicked they are. Uh, and I can remember that time in the hotel room in Montreal, Canada. I knew how desperately wicked I was. I didn't need anybody out to me. It was apparent when I opened up the Bible and I went, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. Jesus continues by describing what a kingdom citizen is going to look like, what we're supposed to look like. If we're people of God, this is what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to mourn over our sin. You see that in, five, in chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. They mourn because they see their sin. They see the destruction that that sin has brought. And, and folks, even for us who are in Christ today, when we sin, we still see that destruction happen. We still see the pain and the hurt that it causes. It, it, it doesn't go away. It's still there. But thankfully, we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, we're his. It says in, in verse 5 there that we ought to be gentle. We're supposed to be thirsting for ness. Maybe, maybe we should be thirsting for the life of the unborn. 
maybe we should be thinking in those terms of thinking about what is actually going on there. And I cannot be dissuaded from the fact that that's murder. That's murder. Now, folks, I do want to at the same time also say this, that if abortion has happened, and I, I, I once talked about abortion, uh, I don't know how many years ago, and a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, can God forgive me? She says, I've had an abortion. As a matter of fact, I've had four abortions. Can God forgive her? Absolutely. Absolutely he can forgive her. He can forgive any sin that he wants. But you have to come to him in that humble recognition of your need for him. You need to have that sin taken care of by him when he went to the cross. And the songs that we sang tonight, to this morning were just wonderfully uh, echo what that is, that he, he came to save sinners. You see, Jesus describes the kingdom citizen as someone who is pure in heart, someone who is walking with him as a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. That's what they're trying to do. I was encouraged today with my brother telling me how he made peace with his brother-in-law. I mean, I, I, that was an encouragement to my heart to hear that that happened, and he's told me about some of the trials they've had. That's what God does. That's what God does. And frankly, the question still comes, do you see yourself as that kind of person? Do you see yourself as hungry and thirsting for righteousness on a regular basis? That doesn't portrayed as salt and light, and I like that idea of being salt and light. We put light on that, we expose that which is wrong. We expose that which was evil. And I don't mean because you're a Republican, okay? You expose what's evil because you're righteous in God. And, and, and the whole idea of abortion is wrong. And that re the, the recent debate that we have on abortion... The right to take a life? Well, we don't know when it starts. Well, I don't know what a woman is. <laughs> Are you serious? Are you serious? I had someone send me some pictures of a child that was aborted. I, 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 my heart cried. It cried. They shouldn't be doing that to human beings. But they do. And they've done it 50 million times. I've heard of so-called Christians arguing for the right of the woman to protect her personal health. Give me a break. My goodness, is that disease that you're carrying in you? Is that a tumor that you're carrying in you? I've even heard uh, recently of a gynecologist that was sued for wrongful life. How in the world can that happen? Because he helped to keep that baby alive when it was born. They didn't want the baby. They wanted to discard it, I guess, because it wasn't good enough. My goodness, where have we come, folks? Where have we come? It's tragic. It really is. It's tragic. Getting rid of the child is murder, period. End of sentence. Can you be forgiven? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. We have a good God. Who will do that? I mean, if he's forgiven me for what I've done, forgive for that. Jesus did not say that murder was wrong. He said anger was wrong. Could you imagine? He said anger is wrong. And folks, have you seen anger on the, on the 
television, uh, on the news stations. It's like they're, they're fiery hell. They're screaming and yelling and cursing and swearing and all kinds of things. That's wrong, and you can go to hell for that. Watching the news, I, I, I have seen elected officials even do things like that. Common everyday folks getting twisted in their anger at the possibility that Roe versus Wade may be overturned. Big deal, folks. Get over it. Jesus continues in his preaching. He calls uh, the character of the man who lusts for a woman as in adultery. Uh, not that he has been with her, but he just has a lust for her, is committing adultery. Folks, the standard of the kingdom citizen is unreachable. Do you agree? It most certainly is. It's unreachable. Without Jesus Christ as your advocate, you'll never get saved. You need him as your advocate. That's why you have to bow the knee to him on a regular basis. Not just once and they say, oh, I did it. I walked the aisle. I did this. I raised my hand. No, no. It's on a regular basis that you're seeking forgiveness from him. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is a call. Not only to love our neighbor, but to love our enemies. I, I find it hard. I want you to know to pray for certain people. Yeah, you should find it hard. But I pray for them nevertheless. I pray that God, pray that God would help them think through this more significantly than, than having this low-level understanding of who children are. I, I, I got to say this also. Pastor John was telling us on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, head up meeting with him. He can't get his book published. The, the, the Christian publishers are not wanting to accept his book, War on Children. Why do you think, folks? Why do you think? He's finding somebody outside of the Christian community to get the book published. Because those Christian publishers are not wanting to do that because they're afraid. Folks, the persecution is going to come. You know, put on your big boy pants now. Let's go. Where to forgive others? Yes. And I'm going to do that, and I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God would... We're speaking with you out of the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about anxiety and worry. That took a couple of weeks, and no, no, no one here is, any, is anxious anymore or worried anymore, right? Okay, good. Solve that problem. Also, we talked about not judging others and you know, having that hypercritical spirit that some people sometimes have, you know, about every little thing that they do that's wrong, and you keep finding out that they've, you know, they've done it. We're not entering into the, the, the chapter on, we're now entering into the chapter on judgment. I got to tell you, folks, this is the judgment of God. It's not the judgment of Bill or the pastors at Grace Church or the elders at Grace Church. This is the judgment of God. And I got to tell you, when I get to the end of the chapter, I, I shake a little bit. Uh, I once read this book by Matthew Mead, and I go, whoa, this is troublesome to my heart. But we'll get there. I don't want to preach that now. Jesus started us, started warning us not to judge others, and that we are going to be judged as well. But Jesus was warning against the judging of people that are different than us. I love different kinds of people. When I was down in Florida, I had lots of good time with these folks. They, they don't know me, and we're just, we're, we became brothers and sisters real quick. 
They are different. They are different. Yeah. You Californians are all like. <laughs> I think in particular, he's telling us not to judge based on our personal opinion. That's not to do with my opinion of another person. That, that's ridiculous. Why, right after Jesus tells the crowd to not judge others, that he brings us to this passage here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. And he tells us okay, that we are to not judge, but to judge now, all of a sudden. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear them to pieces. Folks, to do that, you certainly need discernment. You need to judge. I mean, there's no question about that. There is going to be some personal judgment that goes on. You need to be able to ascertain who are the dogs and the hogs. I changed the word from swine to hogs. I hope you understand that. We can only judge as we know the word of the living God. And that's what you judge by, is the word of the living God. What Jesus is condemning here is the hypercritical spirit of the person who continues to fault with others. They spot others' faults and with their spiritual x-ray vision, but are unable to see their own faults. That's why he says, take the log out of your eye. Take that log out of your eye because you're not even seeing your own faults, the inconsistencies that are there. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 1, he says, do not judge that you will not be judged. Do not judge does not mean, to, does not, mean not to think. It means to think. It means to have discernment. Jesus is pointing out that the critical spirit is a condemning spirit. And so doesn't mean that you're never to judge. In verse 6 there, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. The first thing that we see here is that we need to be able to tell a dog and a hog from those who are going to hear the gospel. That's not an easy thing to do, folks. You don't always know whether they want to hear the gospel or not. That's, that's what happens when you begin to give the gospel. You begin to see where are they. Matthew 7, 6, we've already said it. This is a double negative imperative. I hope you understand that. Double negative imperative. It's a command. That's how important this is that Jesus is giving this. It's something that you are not to do. You're not to give your pearls to the hogs. You're not to give your jewels to the uh, dogs. You're not supposed to do any of that. This week I had another situation. A counselor who I help in their counseling date and, and they called me up and they said, Bill, help me out here. I've been counseling this person for about six weeks and, and every time we meet, they blame their mother, they blame their father, they blame their economic situation for their problems. That's what they want to do. They want to judge others for not being a good enough mother or not enough good enough father and all of those kinds of things. I said, how old is this person? Okay, they tell me how old the person is. It's an adult. 
You can't keep blaming your stuff on your mommy and your daddy. And so I, I asked, I said, how do they accept the gospel? Well, well they, they, they shake their head, but they're always finding fault on everyone else. They find fault on how I'm counseling. They find fault on this. That's the person that's got a big old redwood in their eye. You know, they, they, they've got the sequoia that they can't get out of there. And, and they always are finding fault everybody else around them. They got the log in their eye. You know what? We have people that we try to witness to. And, and I then asked, I said, you need to give them the gospel. They need to know. They don't have a problem. They are the problem. That's what they need to understand. Give them the gospel. See how they respond to that and tell them that they have that need. We want them to get that log out. What uh, Jesus does here in, in verse 6, though, is a peculiar statement. In the middle of speaking about judgment, this statement comes with great surprise and astonishment, if we want to put it in those terms. Jesus has been telling them to remove the log, which I just spoke about, that is in their eye, and now he tells them about dogs and hogs. It, it just comes out of left field, you know, you did that connect with the other. It seems almost contradictory and inconsistent. Jesus stating the fact that you should not be judging in the sense of some kind of condemnation, but there is another side to this warning. This does not mean that the believer does not use his knowledge of the word, the Holy Spirit, to be able to discriminate of who you give the word of God to. There needs to be discernment. There needs to be a sharing of the gospel with those who are actually going to listen Let's pause here. Let's give you some idea. Let's pull the bus over, so to speak, in this, looking at this uh, uh, passage. And where it says uh, some of the things that we need to know, do not give what is holy to dogs. I can't call anybody a dog. Can you? Anybody that I would say is a barker? Okay. But the dogs in this passage that it refers to here are those who reject the message of salvation. They are wicked. They are despised. Who are they despised by? No, I should say they despise Christians is what they do. They despise Christians. They don't want to hear from Christians. These are the sinners that mock when they hear the good news. No, I got saved in 1982. From then on, I began to give the gospel to my customers. I had this one lady who laughed at me, didn't want to hear anything, but she was in one of the better companies, you know, the big companies going to help me make money. And so I come in the office one day and she's down at the other end. She sees me. She starts screaming and yelling about this guy in the airplane that, that tried to give her the gospel. Mm. Yelling and screaming because she wanted me to hear it. So when I come down the line after seeing all these customers, I, I stopped by and I, her name happened to be Donna. And I said, Donna, can I, it was not my wife, <laughs> just, just a name, okay? I said, Donna, can I please ask for forgiveness for that person? I know I can't do that, but can I do that anyway? That's not the way to give the gospel, to confront you and to make you feel pressured or anything like that. 
She said, that, that's a kindness. She, she, she noticed that that was something good. But you see, that's what sometimes we do in our berating of people in the gospel. And those are the people who are never going to receive it anyway. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is showing contempt for these people, just like he did for the money changers in the temple. He's talking them dogs. Now, folks, dogs in the ancient times were not your cute little chihuahua, okay? They, they were not something that you had in your home. Philippians 3.2, you don't need to turn there, but it says this, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. That is not good company. That's not good company when you put dogs and evil workers and, and those who are the circumcision together in one verse there. They're despised. When I first went to India years ago, in the cities you would see these scavenger dogs. Nobody talked to them, prayed, played, played with them, or, or even recognized them. They ate the refuse in the streets and all of that kind of stuff. They were basically ignored. They were filthy. They were dirty. They were mangy. I can make a joke here and say they weren't even cats, but um, <laughs> I, I won't do that because I have friends here who love cats. <laughs> what is the warning for giving the gospel to the dogs here? This is what happens. They will turn and tear you to pieces. They will rip your heart out when you give it to the dogs. Now, for us who understand we're going to be persecuted, we understand that. But still, that's the warning that Jesus is giving here. The warning is to be wise when you give the gospel. The warning is to, is to think about, is this the right time? There are, are just times and situations that you're just going to inflame and incite people to anger. And you don't want to do that. It's only going to cause trouble. The warning for giving the gospel to hogs, they will trample them under their feet. That's what hogs will do. They will trample the pearls under their feet. Hogs, swine, pigs, whatever you want to call them, were never highly thought of by the Jews. That is what they designated as the Gentile. The Greek word used here for swine actually means a young hog. So obviously they, they haven't even become sophisticated like the bigger hog. Tell me, do you think hogs get sophisticated? I don't think so. But this is actually one that has absolutely no control. So I, I want you to know at the other side, folks, I am not proposing not giving the gospel um, please understand that. I am not proposing that you not give the gospel. But say, do it in a wise way. Do it using your wisdom and, and your discernment. The gospel is not accepted often. And sometimes it's uh, rejected vehemently. Uh, I remember when we were in England a few years ago we were at, at uh, Tom McConnell's church. And uh, we went through the streets. I, I don't even remember what city we were in, I don't know if we were in London or Oxford or whatever, and there was a, a street preacher. And I'm just standing there and listening, and some guy comes over to me, he says, do you like what you hear? And I said, uh, well, I already know what, I'm, I've, I already know this. And he says, what do you mean? And we began to talk. And I said, well, how many of you men are out here? And they had three or four men out there, you know why? 
so that when they turned on the preacher, they had some protection. That was wise. That was wise. They wanted to make sure that they didn't get hurt because you could get Psalm 22.20 says this, Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. I got to tell you, this dog thing is, uh, uh, is there that you want to make sure you're listening to what, God, what, what Jesus has to say. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 22.15, it says this, Recognizes dogs in the, in the worst of company. Listen to this. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Wow. You're, you're, you're still in the company. You've got to watch out who you're speaking to. These are evil people. But why not share the gospel? You've been called to do that. Matthew 29 tells you to do that. 28 tells you to do that. Go therefore into all the world and um, preach the gospel. And then in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah, we should do that, but do it wisely. Everyone needs to hear that saving message. Yes, I know that. But you want to do it so that you aren't hurt. The warning here is that the gospel is the most precious message that you have. The most holy message in the world. We only have a limited amount of time to tell people this precious message. And we need to take that opportunity. When those two people came up to me yesterday afternoon uh, after we finished with the, count, uh, the premarital class, well, let me share with you, because they were ready for it. I wanted to show them the difference. But there are other times when somebody says something, and I know they're not ready to hear it. I don't want to waste that time, and please take this the right way, on dogs. I want to make sure that I'm giving it to those who are actually going to listen to it and do something about it. This couple is going to be coming back. When it comes to hogs, though, it would be ridiculous. Listen to this. Absolutely ridiculous to give them precious, expensive pearls. Could you imagine giving the gift of pearls to a hog? No, you wouldn't do that. They would never be given to any animal, except maybe a cat. Just, just kidding. The inappropriateness of this act speaks loudly to this message. You cannot understand the value of pearls when you have the nature of a hog. You can't understand that. The hog does not know the value of the pearl. And if he did, why would you give him? The hog would make it reluctant to accept those. Now, friends, I, I want you to know I've never tried to give pearls to a hog. However, I did read that someone has tried that experiment in giving them pearls. Do you know what? It's rejected out of their mouth, and they just trample on them. Now, I'm going to take that person as being the authority, because I'm not about to go start giving pearls to hogs. That's what they do. They don't have a value of those hogs. Not only that, but for some reason, they don't want them. And i got to tell you, hogs, pigs, swine eat everything, including human beings. What a challenge, folks. We're, we're in this predicament. How do I know? Is this the person that I should be speaking to? Should I be giving the gospel? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. 
I think it's elaborated on a little bit more here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. The instructions on how to do it. This is the DE instruction or the GE instruction, okay? And he says, uh, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. The way of the dogs, basically. And do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I know the context of this is for a specific thing, but listen to what he has to say. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats uh, or sandals uh, or a staff where the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it. Wow. You have to know who really wants to hear it. You want, to know, you want to know who wants to hear it. That's what you want. Look, let's go down to verse 14. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house of that city or that city, shake the dust off your feet. In other words, there's a time to move on. There's, there's a time to not uh, continue to give that gospel. There is a matter of discernment, folks, that you can be able to speak to someone. Years ago when I got saved, I got baptized, obviously. I got baptized with a fellow named Eric. We were down there in the baptismal. We became fast friends. We started to go door to door in, in Northridge, you know, knocking on doors and giving the gospel. Eric had this habit of putting his foot in the door closing. <laughs> Eric, don't do that. That's wrong. We can shake off the dust and go to the next door. Okay? If I'm going to go to this door-to-door thing, uh, I, I'm not going to want to be there while that person is slamming the door on your foot and then swearing and cursing at you to get lost. Please, that's not what this gospel is about. Matthew chapter 5. Back where we were a few months ago. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, uh, 12. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It, folks. It's going to happen. You're going to give the gospel to somebody, and they are going to start to persecute you in one way or another. I've had friends here that have lost jobs. I've had friends here who didn't get promotions and those kinds of things. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. Realize it's going to happen. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10, okay, just where we were a few minutes ago. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold... As Jesus speaking, obviously, I send you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, be discerning where you drop off that gospel. Be discerning the people that you are going to interact with 
Why? Because they're wolves and they're going to eat the sheep. And the gospel still needs to go out. There are some who you just cannot impart the truth to. And, and I've been there. I've been there. I had my own blood brother laughing his head off at me. And that's fine. That's fine. He's my blood brother. I can take that. That's not a big deal. But you know what? That's what happens sometimes. And I was just laughing at me. He didn't even try to take a swing at me. I think if I kept it up, he would. These wolves want to destroy the gospel. And that's the, that's the, the point here. They hate the church. They want to shut it down. They don't think it's essential at all. Now, there are some further warnings in Matthew 24 where it says this, Then they will deliver you and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Folks, that's Jesus speaking. It's going to happen. Yes, you need to give the gospel, but be discerning as possible as to who you give that to. Uh, frankly, my own bosses, when I was in business, I, I knew I was going to be leaving soon, the business. Uh, I had worked for them for oh, 15 years and eight years as a Christian. And uh, I was in a parking lot, and I had the both of them there, and I gave them the gospel. I gave it to them out of Isaiah 53 because they were both Jewish. And, and the thing that they said to me, so what are you going to do now? I said, well, I've got three more years of seminary, and uh, it'll take me a while, and at least you have me for three more years in my contract. And they, they looked at me, you know what they did? As soon as they got back, they started taking away my best customers. I thought, fine, it's okay. I knew I was moving on, but they took away the customers. And that's when I confirmed with my wife, Donna, that it was time to move on. It was time to go come on staff here when they asked me. They will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you because they hate his name. Jesus in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, warned not to be hypercritical. Here he's warning against ignorance. He's saying be discerning, use wisdom when you're going to give the gospel. One commentator said this, quote, unless one has removed the log from one's own eye, notice that that's the first act that you need to do, one will not be able to discern the difference between a fellow disciple and a relative problem and an enemy who will do great harm to the kingdom. You, you don't always know who can do harm to the kingdom. What does it say in, in uh, Acts uh, Paul warns the Ephesian church that there are some among you that are savage wolves that are going to come in and devour. Yeah, there's a warning out there, even within the body of Christ. Pastor John said this, he says, quote, Jesus, Jesus' point is that certain truths and blessings of our faith are not to be shared with people who are totally antagonistic to the things of God. Such people are spiritual dogs and swine who have no appreciation for that which is holy and righteous. Many of you will remember when Pastor John was uh, on Larry King Live, and he was with a Catholic priest and a homosexual. The picture was so beautiful for me. 
Who did he give the gospel to? Not to the priest. Not to the priest, the religious person. He gave it to the homosexual. Because he's the one who knows he's in sin. He's the one who can repent of his sin. The Catholic priest is perfect. He doesn't have to worry about it. But thinking he's perfect. Thinking is perfect. But understand, that's what you have to see is that there are places and discernment that's needed. Folks, isn't it exciting? You were dead once. Christ made you alive. What did he make you alive for? To be his witnesses. That's what he's done. The gospel is now entrusted to you. It's been handed over to you. You are his witnesses. You are And you're his missionaries and his witnesses in a dead world. And it seems, I don't know how it can get deader. Is there even a word like that? But it is. It's certainly more dead. Turn with me as I wrap this up. Uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, because I always got to go where the gospel is. In Romans chapter 10, starting <clears throat> in verse, oh, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. If you haven't done that, folks, if he's not Lord of your life, and you're still Lord of your life, do something here. Confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not just confessing him as Lord, but it's actually living it out that he's Lord in your life. 10, for with the heart a, pers uh, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed, folks. I can tell you that without a doubt. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, <coughs> abounding in riches for all who call on him. Let me go down to verse 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Folks, that's you. You're bringing the good news. I, I heard about what's happening there in the Philippines and, and seeing all of these ha things happening and more people wanting to go. And, and, and folks, it is absolutely rich. This one I got here in 1982. To see all of this stuff happening is just absolutely a blessing. People are being sent out all over the place. Things are happening all over the place, and it's all for his namesake. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When you speak to somebody about the gospel, actually give them the gospel. Talk to them about what Jesus has to say. It's not about going to church. It's not about what, going to church. It's about the gospel. The word of God is why, is what opens people's hearts. Without the word of God, you cannot open anybody's heart. You cannot show them entrance into heaven only by them hearing the word of Christ. I'm going to give you one last example. I may have done this already, but I had a young lady come in with a young man, wanted to get married because she was pregnant. Grew up here at Grace Church. I've known that young lady for 
long, long time. And she said, would you do the wedding? I said, I'll do the wedding, but I have to do premarital. And I said, if one of you gets saved, then I can't do the wedding. You understand that. I don't want to bring dark and light together. And as I'm going to India, and I, I can't see you for three weeks, so what I'd like you to do is get the book of John out and start reading it. I want you to read seven chapters a day, and you know that means you know that's three weeks. They're going to read it a lot. I come back after being in India for three weeks, and, and there she is all by herself. I said, where's, oh, let's call him John. Where's John? So I don't want him. I want Jesus Christ. It was the word of God. That's what did it, folks. It was the word of the living God that penetrated awful sick heart. And she did have one, and she would agree my saying that. Matthew 24, 14, let me leave you with this. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Folks, keep praying for our missions department and all the nations that they're going to and have been in and keep preaching. Because not only you think, we okay, we went to Ukraine. Yeah, but we went to Moldova that was next to it, and we went to Belarus, and we went to this one, and we went to that one, and, and I, all of those countries that are around there. We may not have a missionary in Hungary, but we have a gospel witness in Hungary. Romania, all of those countries. God is good, and he's sending pastors out there. That seminary was sending hundreds of men out. Keep praying for witness, and, and I was going to give you five minutes to tell me how you witness, but, well, actually I was going to think of 15, but somehow I went too long. I don't know how that happens. Do you speed up the clock when I get here? <laughs> anyway, folks, have a great week. Next week, uh, we're going to look at the next portion, and I really like it. It's a ministry of ask, A-S-K. It's a ministry of ask.